Amen. I'll tell you, it's, it's always good to be back. And, and it's always good to go. This trip was... <laughs> okay, nobody laughed, especially Beth. Beth is not allowed to laugh. But this trip was truly extraordinary. <laughs> I've been told that's my new word. My, well, not new, but yeah, that's true, yeah. Like I said, you, you realize you use that all the time. That is just extraordinary to me that I use that all the time. Anyways, yeah, I, I, I don't know of a better word to, to use, really, but, uh, but it, is, it, was, it, was, it was truly an incredible trip. Um, and, and what God did, I, I'm going to give you a little bit, um, perhaps... On Tuesday, we can, we can go into more depth. I, we'll see what kind of depth the Lord uh, goes this morning. But he has given me some things this time um, that, that I know he wants to go over. But uh, by the way, happy Memorial Day weekend. Amen. And, and I want to say yes, indeed. I want to thank all of the veterans, everybody who has certainly given their lives, but even provided their life for this country and, and for what it means to purchase freedom. I, I think those are unique individuals. That, uh, and I, I grew up in that kind of home. My, my father was in the Marine Corps for 20 years. So I, I, I remember at five years old, uh, we, our first time we lived off base, and it was in 29 Palms, California, which I'm pretty sure there's not even 29 there. Okay, but I, I remember going on base where I went to school, and every time you go through the uh, through the uh, the guard station there, we're we're singing this Marine Corps anthem, and uh, I won't sing it for you. But uh, but I remember even at five years old the pride in this country, and and what that meant to me at even five years old, and. Uh, so I am, I am just incredibly thankful for what God, because we, we, have, we have several veterans here. And I'm incredibly thankful for what you have given to this country and the, the, the sacrifice that you've made for all of us. And you don't notice that when you live here as much as when you go overseas. When you recognize what our freedom really means. When you recognize the blessing that God has placed on this country. And, and along with blessing comes what? Responsibility. Yeah. And, and so that, that's what he was highlighting to me just this an entire trip. And, and um, it was interesting. One, one thing I wanted to mention up front, um, each time we go on these trips... There, there's something unique that God shows me, uh, certainly about what we're doing there, but, but even reveals to me in the Spirit. And, and this one was extraordinary because, this could sound strange, but I met a different demonic spirit. And I didn't meet him like, hey, how you doing? That's not what I mean. I mean, the Lord explained to me what this spirit was. I, I'm, I'm sitting there in this... <clears throat> Service and, and it was a service like I've, I've been in a thousand of them, 
And, and it, was, it, was, um, uh, it was powerful. It was, you know, great worship. It was reading of the word. It was a great sermon. Great sermon. And the entire time, my, my spirit was just, best way I could say it was confused. And I, I'm like, Lord, is this the religious spirit? Because it didn't make sense to me that it was the religious spirit. Because the religious spirit usually is walking away from God. Okay? And, and the Lord, Lord said no. And he began to explain what this was. And that this spirit is a brother to the religious spirit. But the target of this spirit is the bride. See, the target of the religious spirit is giving an alternative to anybody, the world or the bride. doesn't matter. But this spirit that was birthed out of the religious spirit, its target was the bride. And who this spirit is, is the very lukewarm that Jesus will spew from his mouth. And he gave me a name of this spirit, and it was the intellectual spirit. And as he started explaining to me what that meant, it started to remind me of 40 years of my saved life. Where I had a love for his word, I had a love for God. And I knew him. But yet that there was a, a place in my heart that I did not allow him to go. That's what birthed relationship. And this intellectual spirit is very sneaky, hides very easily, because it, it clicks on all the right buttons. We did the worship. Right? We had our offering. We had a re- reading of a passage in the Word. We had prayer. We had a sermon that had all the right points. And, it, and, and there was nothing bad about the sermon. It was fantastic. This was a large group. I think this church is probably over 5,000. And, and, and you would think in that atmosphere that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be palpable. But it wasn't. In fact, there was a distinct absence of that. And I know I'm saying this online. <laughs> may not be welcome back. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, this intellectual spirit robs relationship. This intellectual spirit is living by a list of what we know to do to get a response. You know, the principles in the Word of God are true. They're absolutely true. If you give of your tithes and offerings, the Bible says you will be given blessing, right? Okay, it doesn't say that If you are a Christian, this works. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't. Just save your money, because it doesn't work. 
Right? The Bible doesn't say that. It's a principle. When you give out of a giving heart, you will receive blessing from that giving. By the way, that, that works. It works as a single unit. Right? If you go and do that, you will have that blessing. That's what I mean by the intellectual spirit. I know that if I do this, I will receive this. And how it masks itself as relationship is by being applied to the blessing of God. You know, it's extraordinary to me how many in the word of God were blessed by God, but yet were not in relationship with God. I'll give you a perfect example. Saul, King Saul. It was the Lord's intent. Well, first of all, it was the Lord's intent not to... For them to never have a king. Okay. But then when they asked for a king. He said okay I'll give you a king. Here, here's what a king's going to do by the way. But let me give you a king. It was the Lord's intent for that king. And his line to continue on. Now he knew. Because he knows the end from the beginning. He knew it wouldn't happen that way. But see Saul had that opportunity. Saul knew what to do. He knew the bullet points of how to act as king, how to act as a believer in a coming Messiah. But that's all they were to him, bullet points. And see, when you live your life by a platform of lists, that if I do this, I receive this. If I do this, I stay out of this trouble. Instead of saying, God, I give you everything. I give you my yes. I desire relationship with you, and I will just do anything. See, when you live by those lists, what happens is there's no depth to the list. There's no depth to who he is in your life. Any past the intellectual depth. See, I can know my wife. I can read all about her. If books were written about her, I could read about her. I can know what she likes. I can know what she doesn't like. I can know what she has said. I can know everything intellectually about her. But until I build relationship with her, I can't know her. See, from an outside perspective, I can know her, because I can be associated with her. And in the, in the case with Christ, you can know him through the aspect of salvation, because salvation's free. It doesn't cost anything. It costs him everything, but it doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is believe in who he is, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in what he did, that he gave his life on the cross, living a perfect, sinless life. And death could not hold him. He was in the grave for three days, and he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he was brought to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. When you believe that, and you say, Jesus, I accept you as Savior, come into my heart. Reign in my heart. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. 
and be my Messiah. When you do that, you're stamped. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you're stamped immediately like, like a ruler stamps a law that it cannot be broken. That's what it says. It says the Holy Spirit seals your life until you receive the promise, which is eternal life. You can't give it back at that point, even if you wanted to. Didn't cost you a thing. That's why you can't give it back. But see, it's at that point that a door is opened to you. That door where Jesus says, okay, now that you're adopted into the family, let's get to know one another. Get to know me beyond the bullet points of, wh- of what you've been taught. And get to know who I am. And let me pour into you who I am. That's what we call relationship, and we've talked about that. But see, in this intellectual spirit, it's all about one thing. It's all about control. It's about controlling your surroundings. It's about controlling your life. In the case of a church, it's about controlling the methods of how God works. Now, most, most people here know exactly what I'm talking about. I grew up in churches like that. Most of us did. Where we, we, we knew there was a formula, right? If you want to achieve this, you can do this, this, and this, and it will achieve that. Why? Because it's proven and true. If you throw enough marketing into something, you're going to get enough of a response. Why? Because it is a business formula that works. And so when things work, see, people would rather control something and get a moderate response than to not control and leave it up to the Lord. Because, see, in their mind, they're risking, well, maybe what I want isn't what he wants. Right? That's a scary thought. But that's exactly where he wants us to be. Because, see, what he wants for us, you have to come to the conclusion that it's perfect. It's exactly perfect for you. So this intellectual spirit comes in and says, no, why don't you just control this a little bit? Just control it a little, not much. You don't have to control it much, just a little bit. Just to keep it on track for God. Right? Now, when we talk about it, that that just kind of seems insane, doesn't it? But yet, 99% of the churches, the bride, play that out every day. Every day. That's what they do. This intellectual spirit is the reason for the line in the sand that God is bringing to his bride now. This intellectual spirit is going to be given a choice. Each person will be given a choice of this line being drawn in the sand that you will either be hot or you will be cold. But if you are lukewarm, if you are this intellectual Led spirit, I will spew you from my mouth. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Lord and I have talked about this a lot. 
And I keep asking him, what does that mean to spew you out of your mouth? And he won't tell me. Can't be good. I don't know. You know, when I spit something out, it's no longer with me. Right? Now, it doesn't mean we lose our salvation. Please don't be confused. But you become unusable. This intellectual spirit is all about control. And control is the last thing that God wants you to have. He wants control. He wants control so he can filter himself through you. And then that control comes from him. That's why at the beginning of, of this church, he, he told us some very specific things. You know, some that just to the normal person make no sense. Don't take an offering. No, it doesn't make sense. Right? Just put a box in the corner of the room and don't worry about it. I'll fill it. You know, he's done that. He's done that in so many ways. I can't even begin to tell you what he's done. Do you know, I'll, I'll share this, because those of you who were, who were here that Tuesday night before we left, you heard the Lord say 24 hours. 24 hours, and I'm paraphrasing, but 24 hours it begins, or the, the cycle begins, whatever. can't remember the exact words. Well, within that 24-hour period, if you were on the prayer call last night, you heard me pray about it, but there was a miracle that happened. And it was the beginning of that cycle. Do you know one thing I didn't tell anybody? I mean, Michael knew, I think maybe I told a, a, just a handful of people, that here we're going to Nigeria, and in our, we're going there to take our land, to close on the land, and to begin building. Right, And then to take our temporary team space and finish it. Right, We're going there to build. Right, And in our account, we had 33 cents. That's it. 33 cents. Now, when that happened, I had to laugh. Because if it was like 50 cents, I thought, oh Lord, what are you doing? But see, 33 meant something to me, and he knew that. Because he has said all along, watch for the threes. He's told me, watch for the threes. Because see, in the Word of God, the number three means that it is finalized in the Spirit. It's done. It's a done deal. So when he sent us with 33 cents, I thought, well, at least our ticket's paid for. It's round trip. So whatever, whatever, God, whatever you want, this, this, is, this is all you anyways. It has nothing to do with us. So we went down and, and uh, uh, we were getting, you know, going to be getting on the plane. And this was within that 24 hours. This was probably at the 20, or no, no, I'm sorry. This was, when did we take off? Okay, so we got down there like around six. About time? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was like two, it probably was around one ish, one thirty. We got down there that early? Yeah. Wow, okay, I don't remember. Anyways, point is this that within that twenty four hour period, the Lord had spoken to somebody 
who then spoke to us right before we got on the plane and, and went off. And he was telling me, and this, this is a person who is just learning the voice of God. And this was the first time he ever said it to me. He said, he said you know, he had asked me how much we had in our account, which was extraordinary because I would never share that. But he asked me, and I think he asked me that the day before or something like that. And, and so he was taking us to the airport, and he said, he said, you know, he said, my wife and I have been praying, and, and we just feel like God wanted us to multiply your 33 cents times a thousand. And so he gave us $33,000. And he said, but, but I just feel like God's not going to stop, stop there, so, so you need to declare something. I said, okay. I said, I declare it again, that it will be multiplied by a thousand again. Still waiting on that one, but it's coming. But do you understand that when we let God deal with it, he deals with it perfectly. He knows the timing of everything we need. Right? We got, we got to uh, Nigeria, and... I, every trip there is just insane. Um, and they were, because they're, they're doing a government shift from the old to the new, right? The, the, the new swear-in for, for governor's second term is on the 29th, and then, you know, the cabinet is changed over. Um, the assembly is also changed over. So, so many that were in it are not going to be again because they're all elected officials. And, and so there's this, this big transition time. And, and so, so where we normally stay in the government house, um, it's full. It's totally full. And, and we're driving there, and I'm thinking, I really like to stay there. <laughs> you know, it's nice. It's nice. Although I don't, I don't care. Wherever you want me, Lord. But, but God, you know, if you make a little room for us. That would, uh, this is literally what I'm praying the whole way, the five-hour drive down to McCurdy. And finally... The Lord just says, Greg, would you just be quiet? Would you just be quiet and trust me? So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he heard me. We're going to the government house. And, and so we get into, get into McCurdy, and, and, they're pulling, and they're pulling to the direction of the government house. And I'm thinking, yes, Lord, yes. And then all of a sudden, they take a turn. No. And then we pull into this place I've never been to before. And they check us in, and and I won't even go into it, but, I mean, if they have us there every time, that would be awesome. <laughs> Am I right, Michael? This place was, yeah, it was incredible. It was truly incredible. I actually had a burger what? at the restaurant. Yeah, with, honey, close your ears. <laughs> it was a double burger, a double cheeseburger. No, it was... A burger. They, yeah. On the menu, they actually had bacon. We, we didn't get any, but they had it on the menu. So there was hope. But it was, it was awesome. The people there were awesome. And, and so it, it, was, it just set up what God was going to do the entire time. And I will just say a couple quick things that this trip... Michael and I got to spend more time with the governor and the chief of staff 
and the king than we ever have. We, we probably spent, uh, we were with the governor, I think, at least four times, something like that. Um, one night, they were, they were having, and I'll tell this story. This was interesting. Um, for some of you who don't know, Michael got really sick when we were there. He's just a baby, and he can't handle anything. <laughs> totally kidding. He gets really sick. Well, well, the governor had us come to this celebration, going from the old assembly to the new assembly, and they do this big celebration. They have all these dances of, of the different areas there. It's really cool, really, really cool. And we, we go in there, and, and we're sitting there at, the, at, at this. Uh, you have a big table up on the stage, which is where the governor sits and, and his cabinet. And then you have down here, and they put us at the front front row, and we're sitting there, and, and poor Michael, he's just hanging there like this. I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> so, man, you, you're not looking good, dude. He's sweating, and he's just not, not feeling good. And I said, you know what, Michael? I said, why, why don't you just go back? Hey, I'll tell the driver, take you back to the to the hotel so you could just get some sleep. I knew he wasn't feeling good because there was no arguing. He said, okay, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> and so he goes back there, and, and um, I felt so bad because Gary and I are there, and right before it, the whole thing starts, and they move Gary and I up to the cabinet table with the governor. So, so we're sitting up there. I'm two seats away from the governor. We're sitting up there, and we get to enjoy this entire thing. It, it, was, it was really phenomenal. About uh, a third of the way through, the governor leans over to me, and he goes, where's Mike? Everybody calls him Mike there. Where's Mike? I don't have the heart to tell him it's Michael. <laughs> but it, it, he said, where's Mike? And I said, I said well, I said he, he was here earlier, but he wasn't feeling well at all. Last night he had a, a temperature. I think it's back tonight. And and uh, he's probably dehydrated, but I just told him to go back and go to sleep. And he goes, oh, no. He said, you need to tell me these things. And he gets on his phone, and he, he, he calls his doctor. His doctor comes right away, and, and he asks where we are. And he sent his doctor over to Michael, right? I text Michael. I said, hey, if you hear a knock on the door, open it because it's a doctor. <laughs> he said, okay. Well, the doctor gets over there and takes care of Michael, and and all of a sudden, I get this text back after the doctor was there. And Michael, Michael texts me and he says, he says, I have acute aggressive malaria. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Welcome. And apparently a bug also, right? A, a, a parasite. Yeah. So it made sense why Michael was not feeling all that well. So, so... He, he, the doctor comes back. He gives the, the report to, uh, to the governor. Governor leans over to me, and he says, he says, he will be fine now. He said, but you need to tell me these things. From now on, anything that happens to you or your team or even those that live here, you tell me because we need to know right away. He said, these things are easily handled. And, and so um, by the time we got back that night and talked to Michael, he just said, in fact, we stayed up and watched a movie. He, he's like, he's like, they came and they gave me two shots, or I think they combined two shots into one or whatever it was, gave him a shot. And he said, 
that he's sitting there and literally it was like it was just falling off his his body, this sickness. And he said it's the most extraordinary feeling. I'm just sitting there and it's just leaving me. <laughs> and then the next morning they give him two more shots and then I think it was the next day or two days later, two final shots. Michael was fine. He was totally fine. Uh, it, it was just it was just extraordinary. Apparently, they know how. I, I, I don't even want to ask if that's something that was FDA approved. But, but apparently, they know how to handle malaria there because um, it, it was gone quickly. And, and it, 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 it's really too bad because if we would have talked to him the night that Michael was sick the first night, we wouldn't have missed a day, right? We, we missed the next day just kind of hanging around. But. But on, when I came back from this trip, we're on the flight back, and, you know, sometimes I'll try and watch a movie, sometimes, you know, because with your knees in your chest, it's really uncomfortable to sleep, and uh, uh, that's kind of what it was, um, especially when the one in front of you just leans all the way back, it's like really, I mean, literally, my face is in the back of their seat. Um, so I said, Lord, okay, I, I can't watch TV. And he said, just worship. Just worship. Let's talk. Okay. So I started worshiping. I said, Lord, please don't make me cry. And all these people that might look at me, come on. But he takes me to a place of intimacy with him. And he would tell me something. Oh, that's awesome. Write it down. Okay, I write it down on my phone. I'm worshiping him. Tell me something else. Okay, write it down. So, I don't know what he has for you this morning, but he told me to bring that. And at the very least, I'm going to go through these points with you that he was telling me on this plane ride. Because, see, it's where we're at right now. It's where we're at as a church. And it's important to understand this, because if you, if you are looking from inside the fishbowl, all you see is the fishbowl. You don't recognize there's a big world outside of that fishbowl that God is in control of. So you have to train yourself to see outside that fishbowl. And it takes faith to do that. Right? Faith is what moves everything. In fact, faith. one of the things he had me write down said, faith Without works is dead. We know that. Right? But you deposit investments of faith as you do, quote unquote, as you do what the Lord tells you to do. See, because oftentimes we're doing things that we don't see results for. But when we do them out of obedience, it's a deposit of faith. You ever... I mean, most young people here haven't, but when you buy a house, okay, you're not going to go and pay cash for that house. I mean, I suppose maybe in rare cases you do, but that's not normal in America. No, you, you go and you take out a mortgage. And with that, you're required to put down a down payment, and that down payment has to be sufficient enough for you to qualify to get the house. See, it's no different with faith. 
When God has something for your life that he intends for you to do, right? We all talk about the puzzle piece that we're made after to fit into a grander picture. That puzzle piece is how he forms our faith. How he forms our life to be used how he can use it. But see, it takes deposits of faith for him to form us into that piece that fits perfectly into that spot. Those deposits of faith, just like buying a house, before you can even qualify to purchase that house and to move in, you have to have a sufficient deposit. So most people save. Most people save up money. You save up money until you have enough to where you can make this deposit and purchase that home. Yet it doesn't end there, does it? See, when you get in that house, those mortgage payments, they don't stop. Right? You keep paying. These are further deposits of faith. And if you understand anything about a mortgage, at the front side of a mortgage, you're paying mostly interest. Just a little bit of principal. And then over, say, a 30-year period, it gets to be more and more and more principal, less interest. Until at the end of that 30-year period, 30-year mortgage, it's paid off. It's much the same with God's plan for your life. As you're paying your payments of faith. It is mostly something that you are not receiving specifically for. See, if you received something every time you deposited faith, it would be nothing more than a transaction. It would not be an investment. But as you invest in what he has said that he wants to do in your life, you invest faith by saying, I believe you. See, here at Ignition, he's given us many prophecies, told us many things that he's going to do here, most of which has not happened, right? So, so it's not a transaction. When we give him our faith, it's not a transaction because I have faith that you're going to bring Sandra here. I have faith. Here's my faith. I expect it right now. Like a transaction that hasn't happened. In, in fact, what he wants is he wants continued deposits of faith until there's enough faith to purchase that. Does that make sense? See, if it didn't require faith, it wouldn't require anything on our part. And if that were the case, it wouldn't be about relationship. It would be about God just doing what he wants to do and he can manipulate it however he wants. But because it's a relationship, and that is God's goal, then it requires faith to fuel the whole thing. What is faith? It's a trust. Right? A faith is trust in something you cannot see. Faith is something where you step out in, and you don't necessarily know the outcome of that specific step. You just know that's the direction God wanted you to go. We've done that many times as a church here. Where we have stepped because God just said step. And we trust in his promises. 
So the deposits of faith that we give him go toward that purchase of something very special. That purchase is his will. His will for our lives, his will for this country, his will for our church. Now, in this faith, and in these faith deposits, they work up to a specific thing. And God gave me this word, and he was giving me this word over and over and over again. In fact, I made a slide of it. Our faith deposits build up to a single flashpoint. A single flashpoint. A point in our life where something ignites. See, if you know what a flashpoint is, a flashpoint is the point of no return, if you will. It's the point of no return. When, when, you, when you light a match, when you first strike it, there's that initial ignition, that's the flashpoint. Or in a bomb, it's the immediate ignition or flash of that bomb. Everything else is pretty much what it's going to be. Can't stop it. Once you've started that bomb, once it has hit its flashpoint, it's going to just do what it's going to do. See, it's the same with God. As we deposit these, these deposits of faith, there comes a point where we hit a flashpoint where everything, guys, get this, everything changes after the flashpoint. Everything. It's literally what our faith is believing. But everything changes after this flashpoint. And we have been doing that here. And the confirmation of that is not the external. If it was, we're in trouble. But the confirmation of that right track is one thing. Relationship. Look around you. For those of you who have been here a while, look around at people's lives. Tell me the changes that you see in people's hearts. That is the true test of being on track toward this flashpoint. But believe me, the flashpoint is coming. I want to give some examples of flashpoints. They're all throughout the Word of God. Anyone in the Word of God that has been used in this extraordinary way, you could go down every one of them, you'll find a flashpoint in their life. How about Moses? Right? Moses was born and given to the queen, raised in Egypt, only to realize that his people, this tugging on his heart, were the ones in slavery. He thinks he goes to do something about it and makes it worse. But what, God, or what Satan intends for evil, God works toward good. He sent away 
for 40 years. That's a time of preparation. He meets God in the burning bush. You would think that might be the flashpoint, but it wasn't. See, the flashpoint is when things become perpetual. See, it was at that point, he still argued with God. Wait, Lord, I can't do that. I can't speak. I I can't, I can't, I can't. So see, that was not his flashpoint. The flashpoint for Moses was when he was committed to his trail. He had already gotten back to Egypt. He had already gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. The flashpoint came in those ten plagues. There's no turning back at that point. There's no turning back. And look at the rest of his life. doesn't mean we don't make decisions after the flashpoint. Because even Moses made some bad decisions when he struck the rock and he wasn't supposed to. He made the people think God was angry and he wasn't. It cost him. It cost him going into the promised land for himself. But see, the flashpoint of them leaving Egypt set into motion a perpetual plan that God had. Right? How about David? Here's this kid, shepherd. And you would think a, a, a shepherd boy would have kind of a mundane life, right? Well, no, we find out later that as a shepherd boy, he fought lions, he fought bears. <laughs> I, I love it when, when he's fighting a lion. It, it, I don't know. David was not a big guy. Right? And, and he said, he said when, he, when he went after him, he literally grabbed the beard of the lion. I'm thinking, how in the world could you even hold on to that? But yet, he gave this deposit of faith, knowing what God had put in his life. I can imagine, if, if I could do anything, I would, I would sit down and I would ask David, hey, tell me about the times when you were shepherding. Tell me about the intimacy you had with the Lord. When you're all by yourself and all you had to talk to was Him. You know, imagine the intimacy of those moments. And the growth of that. And and I can imagine the Lord telling him that I have so much more for you than this. David saying, I believe it. He's the youngest of seven. Seven or eight, I can't remember. Eight, is it eight? But he was the youngest. So whatever he had to wait for, he had to get in line. But yet he believed. He believed. And in that time of preparation, God told him how and taught him how to fight. Taught him how to trust. Taught him how to defeat the lion, how to defeat the bear. He built a single word in him that is one of the most precious things that God gives us. And it is a result of faith. And that is confidence. You ever meet a really confident person? 
You know, that's one thing. You ever meet a really confident person in the Lord? The atmosphere is palpable. It's because that faith has, has purchased that intimacy with him. That's where David was. What was David's flashpoint? David's flashpoint where everything changed in his life was the moment he took on Goliath. See, the moment he took on Goliath, everything changed. Up to that point, it was in the fields with the sheep. In fact, when he came and and wanted to check it all out, his brothers were angry with him. What are you doing here? You just want to see the war. And he's like, why why are you guys putting up with this guy? See, he was speaking from a place of confidence. That confidence wouldn't have been there if he hadn't already taken on the bear or taken on the lion, fully confident in what God would do through him. See, David walked into that situation with Goliath with full confidence. Absolute confidence. He knew. He knew what God was about to do. He may not have known exactly how it was going to play out. I don't know. It would be interesting to ask him. I know he only planned one stone for Goliath. Because the others were for his brothers. Just in case they showed up. (laughs) David's like, I'll take on the whole family. May as well get rid of them now. See, David had absolute confidence because he had placed deposits of faith that purchased that confidence. It purchased that relationship. Right? And his flashpoint, when that came, everything changed. It didn't mean, by the way, that everything was awesome after that. In fact, his life changed, right? He was brought into the king's servanthood. And, well, he was in the king's servanthood before, playing a... Every time the king would have a a fit of demonic spirits, he would play the harp and, and he would get better. But it was after that that he became a warrior. It was after that that where, where they talk about Saul killing his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's where all that was built. So see, what happened was that this flashpoint brought a season of amazing, amazing position for David. Now it also ruffled the feathers of Saul, so much so he wanted to kill him. But do you understand that after that flashpoint, everything changed? I want you to turn, because we're going to talk about one more. One last flashpoint, and this one's extraordinary. We're going to talk about Paul. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. See, we, we think of Paul and, and his, his global outreach, his missionary journeys, as that is all that Paul was. You know, we've talked about this before, but there was a period of time between Damascus and his missionary journeys. See, there was a required time of training. There was a required time of him depositing 
those faith deposits to build the confidence in that relationship with the Lord so he can walk into every place that the Lord had him walk into with absolute confidence. I don't know about you, but, you know, one of the things the Lord told him is, is that, you know, you, he used to, the Lord would tell him everything, you know, things that would happen to him when he would go into an area. Well, one of the shipwrecks when they're on this island, right, Paul had this absolute confidence that, you know, when he gets, got bit by this snake, it wasn't going to hurt him. And, you know, this snake jumps out, bite it, bites him. He just kind of ripped it off, threw it in the fire. And every, all the villagers are looking at him like, okay, we're just waiting for him to die because they die immediately with this. I don't know what kind of snake it was, but what I picture it as is one of the mamba family, a green mamba or a black mamba. Because with those, if you are not treated, you will die. And back then, they certainly wouldn't have antivenom. But he had an absolute confidence. Now, did it hurt? Sure, I'm sure it probably hurt. These fangs are in the guy's arm. Just rips it off, throws it in the fire. I don't know what kind of confidence it takes to walk in that. Do, do you know on this trip, we saw our first snake. I didn't even know they had poisonous snakes in Nigeria. I, I was actually really bummed because the one thing I wanted to see was a king cobra. And so when I went three and a half years ago, no, we don't have king cobras. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. So I kind of put it out of my mind that they had poisonous snakes. And then right outside our hotel, outside of our room, there's this snake. It wasn't big. It was about, I don't know, 20 inches, something like that. <laughs> what? <That's> big. <laughs> it was big enough, yeah. Well, and, and I'm, oh, look at that. And, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, well, they don't have poisonous snakes here. So, oh, maybe that's a little boa or something. I'm, I'm literally thinking about picking it up. Oh, <laughs> And, and I'm thinking, you know, I mean, but what's it going to do? It's tiny. It's like a little garter snake. You know, a garter snake that bites you, whatever. It's not going to hurt you, right? And, and so I, I jumped down in the, and it was in this little uh, ditch or whatever it was. I, I jumped down there and I was going to mess with it. And this, this, <laughs> this guy comes in and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. What? He said, oh, no, very, very poisonous. I said, no, it's not. Stop messing with me. I said, yes, it was. So then he proceeds to kill it, and, and he killed it. And, uh, but that was, that was our first one, and then I found out it was a puff adder. Very poisonous. And, and then I start reading how many hundreds of Nigerians are killed every year by puff adders. I'm like, okay. Well, Lord, uh, mine wasn't confidence. Mine was stupidity. <laughs> So, so, so now, now, uh, yeah, it's ordinary stupidity. So, so then we go to the land the next day, and, and we're walking, we're walking through grass, you know, up to my stomach. Before I'm walking with absolute confidence, and I'm like, you know, my confidence is in the fact that there are no stakes there. And the next day I'm walking through, and I'm thinking, okay, they, they can hide literally anywhere. What? It, what and, and I, I turned to Andrew, he's behind me, and, and, and I, said, I said, should we worry about snakes? And Andrew, Andrew said, I am not worried about them, because you are before me, and the Lord will not let you get hurt. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, you have no idea. Well, we didn't see a snake there, praise God. 
Because I'm not sure I would have, I haven't made deposits enough for that confidence yet. But that's what God has us do. He has us place these deposits. So let's, let's look at verse 15 of chapter 1 of Galatians. This is Paul, and, and this, was, this was after his, his time uh, uh, on the Damascus Road where, where he comes to, to know the Lord. But when he who had said, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm going to change it. Let's read it out of um, uh, the NLT. Verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. That's what happened on the Damascus Road. So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead... I went into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So recognize what happened after he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. For three years... He went and he was with the Lord. The Lord was teaching him. Can you imagine what had to be undone in his mind? You know, it's, it's not like, boom, get saved, slap in the head, now you know everything and you're all ready. I mean, that, that's, that's the American microwave mentality. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. See, Paul needed to begin to give deposits of faith for what God was going to do with him. And, and then after three years, the Lord said, go up to Jerusalem and meet Peter. He met Peter and he met James. But that was it. That was it. He was making deposits. As God was working in his life, it says in Galatians 5 that, that he was trained by no man, but he was trained by God. Those deposits of faith were what he was receiving. And then he said, yes, Lord, I believe. And I place that deposit in your hands. Because I want to buy that, I want to buy that house. I want that mortgage where your will for my life is mine. And you do in my life what you want. But you would think it, After three years, he's ready, right? No. Let's go on. Chapter 2. Then after 14 years, 14 years after he met Peter, I went up up again to Jerusalem. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Let me read it out of the NLT. 
Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God, and get this, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. He didn't just go because, you know, it's been 17 years. It's time for me to get with the boys so we could all be united. No. See, God said it's time to go. It's time to go. You need to go connect with them because it's time. You have sufficiently paid your deposits of faith. Now I can use you as I have planned. So go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. They supported me, did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. This was his flashpoint. Going back to Jerusalem and meeting the other apostles, that was his flashpoint. God told him to go. God knew that at that point, everything would be different. See, it was at that point he became known to the world. All that we know of Paul, all of his missionary journeys, all of his epistles, came at that point after. So see, it was his willingness to invest in faith up to that point. And then when that flashpoint came, it was like, buckle in, we're going for a ride. Do you see, that's where we're at. We've been depositing these faith deposits for a long time. And in our hearts... It's not for the purpose of what we'll receive. It's for the purpose of something so much more important. It's when we'll be with him one day. That's, that's what Paul's motivation was. Paul's motivation wasn't this earth. Paul's motivation was one day I will be with you. I want to be in proximity to you. And see, Jesus needs us to become his best friend in this faith journey because it won't happen if you wait to see him face to face. You ever hear of what Thomas did? And I'm not saying he didn't do anything. All the apostles did. We know that they all died as martyrs except for John. But do you, do you ever see the writings of Thomas? Do you ever hear of how God used his life? You know, I, I don't know about you, but to me, that's, that's an important lesson. Because, see, he had to see. He had to embrace that intellectual spirit. There was a monicum of control that he had to have in his life that he could see by seeing his pierced hands. And his pierced side. But oh, that cost him. That cost him dearly. 
See, when God is offering something to us, which is his plan for our life, and we hold on to the control of seeing it, it's dangerous, guys. I can tell you from personal experience, the only reason God has brought me to the place that he has brought me in hearing his voice, in seeing what he has coming, in the communication that he has with me, is simply because of deposits of faith. I've said yes. It's not rocket science. I said yes, and he said okay. Keep saying yes. As I prepare you, keep saying yes. That was my only job. Just yes, Lord. Keep saying yes. Wake up every morning. Yes, Lord. I don't know what you have for me today, but yes, Lord. I want it. I'm shedding the control that I desire. I'm giving it to you in a faith deposit because I know you will turn it into gold. Everybody has a flashpoint. And there is a cost of faith to coming to that flashpoint. But do you know it's the same with the church? You know, and, and by the way, I know it's hard to wait. I know it's hard to wait. It breaks my heart knowing the amount of pain that Carson's in. I can tell you that he's on my heart every day. Every day. And I know he's on your hearts every day. He's not the only one. Like Sandra and Ethan, are on, they're on my hearts. On my heart every day. Every day. I talk to the Lord about them. But see, there has to be sufficient payment of faith for God to do what he wants to do. So I can choose to control that. Or I can choose to let him control it. As a church, we do the same thing. But there's a flashpoint coming. I'm telling you, there's a flashpoint coming. I've seen it. He's shown it to me. I've seen the aspects of it. I've seen that at this, at this point, when this flashpoint happens, nothing's the same. Everything changes. And I don't mean our daily life like, you know, all that changes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the perpetual motion of his will. The perpetual motion of what he's doing in us as a church. It will change like that. We will be in a building like that. Won't be something we search out. In fact, it's being prepared for us. It's been prepared for us. I know the building. I've seen how it happens. The Lord's told me a conversation that I'm going to have. At that flashpoint, everything changes. But the amount of faith required for that flashpoint is on all of us. See, when things felt like they were just being delayed, I had many conversations with the Lord. And one of them 
Honestly, I'm not terribly proud of. Because I said, Lord, I said, can this, can this just happen with my faith? Because I know that there are people struggling. Can, can, can we just do this on my faith? And his answer to me was, what you prayed at the beginning that you asked for, that can't be done on a single person's faith. See, we want the readying of the bride. We want Acts chapter 2. We want God's will to come and change this country and effectively change the world. That can't happen by the faith of one person. can't happen by the faith of two. It happens by the faith of a group. That's why he's sequestered us the way he has. Because it requires faith. Look around, like I said before. The evidence of that faith is not in the external. The evidence of that faith is in the changed lives. Lives that so willingly said, I'll move to Nigeria. I have seven people moving in October. Another, whatever it is, seven or eight or so moving after the first of the year. It's these deposits of faith that bring the flashpoint. The Lord said, I want to say one, one other thing that he gave me. And it's this idea. See, a long time ago, the Lord told me as we began going to Nigeria, he told me that everything begins in Nigeria. Didn't know what that meant. Honestly, I didn't know what that meant until this trip. This trip, I understand what that means. Because I used to think, well, maybe, maybe Nigeria was the flashpoint. Even though I didn't have that word at that point. But maybe Nigeria is where revival starts and, and, and it all begins there and kind of filters over to, to Newark and into America and all this. It wasn't until this trip that I understood what that really meant. See, it begins in Nigeria because in Nigeria, the setup was ready for God to do things that were out of our comfort zone things that we couldn't control because we were thrust into a place, a life, a culture that we don't even understand. And yet we said yes. See, what begins there is the manifestation of what he's doing. The revival, it's already begun. The revival began in our hearts. The, the revival began when we said yes. Right? It, it's, it's our hearts. It's us that's the temple of Christ. And when we say yes, that revival can begin and has begun. Last thing he told me that I wrote down. 
you don't keep your eyes on Christ, you'll get lost in the noise. And I'm going to close with an example. See, if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus Christ and your relationship with him, you will get overcome by the noise. When we were in Nigeria, Michael was talking with his wife, Allie. And he was feeling sick. And each day he spoke with her. She talked with him directly. She heard from the horse's mouth what was going on. Not that Michael's a horse. But she heard from his mouth what was going on. Okay? That's important to understand that. And yet, when it became known what he had, he knew what he had, he talked to her. He said, yeah, I have malaria. Same thing I just told you. Told her everything. Told her what the doctor told him. Told him he'd be fine. But then external things come in. External voices come in. Start to Facebook Allie. Start to other family members calling Allie. Well, well, why aren't you worried about this? Don't you realize he could die? That, that's, that's a sickness that claims lives. Don't you realize that? See, do you see what's happening? They are trying to pull her into their world of fear and control. That's what Satan does. That's what Satan does. And see, Allie is hearing, okay, well, wait a second. Michael never told me any, anything about that. He told me he was, he was okay. He was doing good. So, so then fear can grip us in that way. Then, you know, when Michael talks to her again, no, 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 here, let me, let me tell you the truth. This is what happened. This is how I felt immediately when I got the shot. You know, this is what God has done. It's like, okay. And, and Ali, I think you felt better after talking to him that night again, right? See, if we don't Keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Just like, like Allie. If Allie keeps her eyes focused on the, the information she is getting from the source, the person who was sick, from the source, if she doesn't, other voices can take their toll. It's the same with Jesus. If we are listening to him and we have built relationship with him, and even as a church, he tells us what's coming. He tells us this flashpoint's coming. We can either listen to the source and be depositing those deposits of faith, or we can listen to external means, external voices that tell you, well, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. See, God doesn't work that way anymore. Because, see, the gifts, well, they really died with the apostles. It was really to get the church going. It really doesn't operate that way anymore. You know, you, you guys are in a house. What, what makes you think that you could affect the world? Do you understand all these voices? They're there, trust me. It's your choice to listen to them or not, but they're there. 
But if we keep our eyes focused on Christ and what He is saying, trust me, He won't say anything different to you than what He says to me. Because we have one God. He's not a multi-personality God. Right? What He tells me is no different than what He's going to tell Shannon. Now, He may not tell us the same things, But if he talks about the same thing to each of us, he will not tell her something different than he tells me. So we have to focus on who he is and what he says and relationship with him. Get it from the source. Because that's the only way you will become that puzzle piece that fits perfectly into that picture, that mosaic. So the, the only thing I can say to you, church, is we're there. We're there. That flashpoint is upon us. I don't know what day. I don't know what week. But it's coming. Trust him. Trust him and what he's telling you. Ask his voice to be loud because you play a part. You play an important part. Because at the point of that flash, everything changes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, that you trust us to build a relationship with us. You trust us to use us. God, we give you our yes. We give you everything that we are as an asset to choose to use however you will. God, you have had this from the beginning and you have taken us through so many things to train us. To build the confidence in us of trusting you. Just as Daniel walked into the den of the lions, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked into the fiery furnace, they walked in with an absolute confidence that it was in your hands. They didn't know the outcome. Even walking into that fiery furnace, they said to the king, if it be the Lord's will for us to die, then it be his will. So they didn't know the outcome, but yet they walked with confidence. Lord, we have deposited much faith. Allow us to walk in confidence of your will. We don't have to know what it is. We just have to give you our feet. And that we do. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say one thing before we go offline. And then the rest will be just for you all. But um, I don't know, is this even on? Um, I was thinking about the faith deposit even during worship today. And how much God is teaching us to, to have the faith to believe that worship really does break atmospheres, as Greg said earlier in the middle of worship. And 
how we worship now, what we take and develop in our walk now is what we're going to be taking when some of the changes come. And so I know I was, I was challenged by the level of tiredness that I was feeling, sometimes distractions, things like that. And God wants us, and, and I know I've been teaching the ladies, and I mentioned it last week in my message, but to practice this place of rest, to practice by faith this place of being anchored in him, even sometimes when our body resists. Or there are distractions of our mind or things like that. Because it doesn't, circumstantially, it doesn't get easier. You have your ebb and flow of circumstantial smoothness. But what stays consistent is who you are, where you are with Christ and your faith. And, and our spirit being renewed every day. So the danger sometimes is looking at worship externally. Because you have those warm and fuzzy feelings. You have your favorite songs. You have your... You know, your sweet spot, maybe you just finished your, your wonderful cup of coffee right before the service started, and you're just kind of in a, in a great, what you think is a Holy Spirit place, and it might just be a caffeine place. And so, but, but I, I know that God wants us prayer warriors, he wants us worshipers, and that has to be a deposit of faith as well. Depositing faith into the fact that your schedule seems to make it impossible to be on the prayer call you know, and and the Lord will make a way. When your heart is hungry for him, he will make a way. But we've got to step in that. We've got to step. When there are scheduling conflicts, of course that happens. But if it's a forgetfulness issue, you've got to step. Don't you think God will help you to help you get and remember that 8.30 time? Whether I hear alarms sometimes going off when I'm with people up to close to the 8.30 time frame. And, and some people will stop even in their particular commitment and, and are able to do it. And sometimes you're not able to do that. But everything God's requiring us to do, he will make a way. But he does want us to step. So I was just thinking about that in worship because I found myself battling. And every time I face that, I know the Lord's trying to show me something. Like I am bigger. If you just believe me. Believe me, fix yourself, fix your, your thoughts on me, fix your heart on me. I'm going to take care of what your issues are of your fatigue or your you know, tiredness or the fact that you suddenly just realized how hungry you are. You know, things like that that hit our bodies, he will, he will make a way through that with our faith. So um, what, a, what an incredible reminder and a great message. Um, and so I wanted to, to do that before we go offline. Um, 